Good afternoon, all of you fellow Bible Quest truth seekers. We're glad you're joining us this afternoon. It's Tuesday afternoon in the middle of January already. Um, good to see uh, the panelists are here. If you're coming in, before I get to them, if you're coming in on the BibleQuest.tv app, uh, use the Q&A uh, box or the chat box. Just click on either one of those little things in your app. On, it's either on your computer or your mobile devices. And text in your questions, comments as we go through today's discussion. If you're coming in from Scott's Facebook page, obviously you know where the, the content of the text box is for making your comments. And speaking of Jeff, <laughs> I did it, I said that all the time. I'm sorry, Scott. Speaking of Scott, our program director, how are you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right today, Drew. How are you? I'm doing good. And you don't you don't even look like Jeff. You look like the baby brother. But anyway, <laughs> who else is with us? Jonathan. Jonathan Saddle is with us. Glad you're here today, Jonathan. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you all. Also. Okay, great. You know what? I think I could stop the share here in a minute so we can see everybody a little bit better. Um, all right, so we're going to go into, uh, we, we've been the last couple of weeks been looking at the book, uh, the letter that Paul had written, Colossians. And we're going to look at chapter three today. There's a lot of good information in there that we want to share and talk about and go back and forth with. So if you have any comments or questions about uh, what we're talking about, please chime in. We want to hear from you. Uh, and, and in fact, we might ask if anyone has a suggestion for a particular letter, whether it's Old Testament letter or Old, Test uh, Old Testament book, New Testament book. Let us know if you wanted us to unpack anything from any of those books. We would love to do that, especially if it's something that uh, might be uh, something you're interested in uh, having us to talk about. Okay, with that said, Scott, you want to go ahead and start us off? Sure. And again, to our audience, uh, please chime in. You can, you can make comments either on Facebook or if you're at the uh, uh, webpage for BibleQuest, uh, you can submit uh, comments, questions there, uh, add to the discussion, ask questions, uh, whatever we, we'd like to hear from. Okay, so Colossians chapter 3, uh, we've already gone over Colossians 1 and 2. I wasn't here last week, but uh, y'all covered that. And let's just ask a few questions here to get us started uh, for anybody that hasn't been in those. So the book of Colossians is written, as Drew said, by Paul. And of course, it's written to the Colossians. Question number one, what did the circumstance that Paul is in at the time of his writing the letter? He's in prison. He's a prisoner. Uh, so chapter four, verse 10, he talks about his fellow prisoner. Uh, there's references in these letters to the bonds that he's in and such. He may not be inside a prison <clears throat> because at the end of Acts, when he went to Rome as a prisoner, it mentions that he was allowed to stay in a house there, kind of under house arrest with guards on him and such. But he is a prisoner. Now, the people he's writing to, the Colossians, is this a church that he started? I don't think he did, did he? No, he didn't. These are people that he is unknown by face to. So back in 2.1, uh, he talks about uh, the church at Laodicea, along with these brethren who have not seen him face to face. Uh, the fellow, it looks like, started this work, perhaps, and at least who he, Paul had learned about the Colossians from is Epaphras. And then there's also um, other people involved. 
Okay, so Paul is a prisoner, and he's writing to these Christians. And, and where is Colossae, roughly? Uh, it's not very far east of Ephesus um, in Asia Minor. Okay, so modern-day Turkey and the, the western part of Turkey, but eastern from, like, the area of Ephesus. How far, and, is, that, how far is that from Rome, Scott? Oh, a long way, hundreds hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Um, so uh, Paul cares about these Christians, even though he's never met them, and, and writes this letter. Now, somebody just sum up in one or two sentences the first two chapters. Basically, um, Paul is thankful for them, what he's heard you know, about them, and he's thankful that they have heard the gospel. Um, and he reminds them that the gospel is about Jesus and yeah. how important Jesus is and that yeah. Jesus is the way for salvation. He's the way to be reconciled to God. He's the one that wisdom comes through and he warns the Colossians not to seek wisdom or religion or, or salvation in anything other than Jesus. Very good. And in particular, what's the one area that there seems to be a danger that he wants to make sure they don't listen to? Somebody there's kind of judgment on them. Yeah, there's there's kind of two. I think the main one would be Gnosticism, and then maybe a secondary is uh, 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 Judaism or the yeah. Judaism, Judaizing teachers. Yeah, and, yeah. and wouldn't you say that there was people from either one of those camps that were casting judgment on the Christians there because they they wanted them to participate in those other doctrines? Yes, in chapter two, he says, "Don't let anybody judge you." about a Sabbath day or what meat you eat. And, uh, and he also says that that's in verse uh, 15 of chapter 2. And then he immediately says, don't let them insist on an asceticism or worshiping of angels, which would be some Gnosticism. And I suspect that it could be a combination within an element in that area that's both Jewish and not is my suspicion. True. We're not talking too many years after the resurrection here, right? Maybe what, 20, right, 30 right. years? And 30 here we, plus. I'm sorry? 30 plus. 30 plus. Okay, so here you have something really early, close to, well, the, this, you're talking first century at the beginning of this movement, and already people are coming in with all kinds of different theories. And what did Paul say to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 28? He oh. said, I know that after I leave, what's going to come in? Ravenous wolves from among yourselves. Right, from among their, their leadership role. Speaking yeah. what kind of things? Untrue things. I don't remember the exact words. But. Perverse things. To draw away disciples after them. Away from Christ yeah. towards them. All right, so chapter 1 and 2, Jonathan already summed that up well for us. Salvation is in Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He's the one that died for us. That's where salvation is. That's where the blood atones for us. We need to listen to him, and that's where wisdom is. Now Paul does, in chapter 3, the same thing that he does in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. After the first chapter is explaining the concept, you know, and, and what Christ accomplished for us, he always switches to the last part of the book, and how does the last part of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 
how does the last part of the book, and it's usually a pretty distinct break, differ from the first part? If the first part is conceptual and about what Christ did for us, the last part is always going to be... Details about us and our response? Yes, yes. Uh, Practical application, what we need to do in response. Christianity is not without responsibility. And not without accountability. Too many people read the first chapters of Romans, the first chapters of Galatians, the first chapters of Ephesians, and I'm getting a signal says my connection is unstable. Can you guys yeah, hear me? We hear you. You were breaking up a little bit, but we hear you. Okay. Yep. So the first chapters emphasize that salvation is through Christ, not through ourselves and these other things, often in these first chapters. And then today, many people stop there and they say, oh, since Christ did it all, I don't need to do anything. They need to read the second half of Romans, second half of Galatians, second half of Ephesians, second half of Colossians. In the second half, well, even in the first half of Romans, he jumps forward and says what? Does this mean that since we're under grace, we can keep sinning? And the answer in Romans 6 is what? No, absolutely not. Yeah, in Galatians, after talking about how we're not saved, and justified by law in our own works. It's through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And in chapter five, he says, now, you know, this is important. I warned you before, you can't walk in these sins because as I forewarned you, if you walk in these sins, you will not inherit the kingdom. kingdom. Yeah, in Ephesians, after talking about that we're saved by grace, through faith in Christ, not of our own works, then in chapters uh, four and five, he leads up and says, don't let anybody deceive you. If you walk in these sins, you know, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. So this is the point in Colossians where we switch to the practical, our responsibilities. So somebody start reading uh, verse one through four, and then whoever doesn't read it, start commenting on it. Okay, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jonathan, comment on that text for us. Well, he's kind of following the same type of pattern that he has been through the whole thing. So this is similar to how he end, ended chapter 2, in chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, if, you, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And he mentions a couple there, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and identifies those as human precepts, human teachings, and things like that. So now he's on the inverse, which the Colossians know, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, and you've been baptized into Jesus' death, like he talked about in chapter 2, then what you need to do is seek the things that are above, seek the things that are from Christ. Um, And he's going to go through this idea of putting something to death and putting on something else, which is a similar idea in Ephesians chapter four of putting off the old man, putting on the new man, um, like Paul writes in a few of his other letters. And so he's saying you've died in verse three and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you need to live like Christ. Your Christ is your life. And so live like him. Live how he expects you to live. Right, right. And what specifically are some of the verbs in here? What verbs are used to tell us what to do? Seek. Very good. Seek what? Things that are above. Yeah. 
And don't set your mind on things here on earth, on the earth. Hello, set your mind on things above. above. I want to take a minute here just to make a tangent. Uh, this is saying the same thing that a famous passage in the Old Testament was saying, except the passage in the Old Testament gets taken out of context constantly. It's back in the book of Isaiah. Turn back there if you would. And we're in chapter 55. Now I'm going to read a verse from Isaiah 55. And if you're familiar with how this text is often taught, What's the point people usually make from this text? This is Isaiah 55. Verse 8 says, God speaking, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Now we're going to look at the context and see that this is saying the same thing as Colossians 3. But how is this text usually or often represented? In other words, there's no um, way we can ever know what God knows or wants us to know. Yes, yes. It's usually used to refer to the omniscience of God, that he's smarter than us, he's bigger than us, and he knows more than us, and he knows better than us. Now, are those things true? Yeah, yeah, obviously yes. it's true. You could go and in the same book there, and find that. Yeah, there are verses in the Bible that make that point. For example, when God confronts Job late in the book of Job, and he says, all right, now get yourself together, and I'm going to ask you some questions. And there's one, there's one section even in the same book in Isaiah 40 that makes that point. Oh, very good. Um, yeah, in Isaiah 40 in verse, uh, where is it? Where is it, Jonathan? Verse 28, Isaiah 40, verse 28. I know it's in 40, couldn't find the verse. Very verse good. 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Okay, there, great, great. All right. And, so, and in Job, when God says, Job, you know this, do you understand this? Were you there when this happened? And Job says, I'm going to be quiet. You know, that's the point there. Uh, and, and in Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to God. Things that we don't know, we don't need to know. Other verses teach that God is smarter than us and knows more than us. That's not what Isaiah 55 is talking about. It's saying the same thing that Colossians 3 is saying. Because look at it. Back up to verse 6. Isaiah 55 verse 6 tells us to do what? Seek the Lord. A minute ago, when I asked, what was the first, what was a verb in Colossians 3? What did you say, Jonathan? Seek. Seek. Seek, Seek the Lord while he can be found. Can be found. Call upon him while he is near. near. And the wicked man should forsake what? Forsake his way, his own way. Right. Pay attention to the word way and the word thought. The wicked man is to forsake the, the wicked man's way. The unrighteous man is to forsake the unrighteous man's thoughts. And while stopping thinking about walking in wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts, puts it saying the next part of verse 7. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Yeah, so stop walking in wicked ways, stop thinking unrighteous thoughts, and come back to the Lord. Why do they need to do that? Verse 8, 
because my, my thoughts my... are not your thoughts. Neither are my way, neither are your ways my ways. You see, that your thoughts there are the unrighteous thoughts. Your, uh, your ways are not my ways. Your ways are wicked. Stop it. Get back and start thinking my thoughts. Start walking in my ways. The passage in Isaiah 40 that Jonathan quoted, the passage in Job, the passage in Deuteronomy 29, those passages show us that there's ways and thoughts that God have that we can't, you know, hope to have. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying my thoughts and ways are righteous and good and yours aren't. Stop thinking like sinful, wicked men and start thinking godly thoughts. Stop walking in darkness. Start walking in the light. If that was and, not a possible uh, thing to do, he wouldn't be asking or expecting us to do it. Yeah, he's, he's telling them what to do. Well, that's the same point here in Colossians. Stop thinking about earthly things and set your mind above. Because you take the, the person outside of Christ living selfishly, where are, they thought, where are their thoughts? Self? Yeah, it's not on glorifying God or submitting to him. It's on pride, arrogance, sensual satisfaction. It's just it, it, his thoughts are carnal and selfish. Stop it. Don't wouldn't do that. Say, Scott, wouldn't you, say that those, wouldn't you say that those things just seem to come naturally to us and easy? Yeah. And so yeah. it takes effort. It takes effort to, to change that. Yes. In life, here, here's a basic rule in life. If you do things the easy way, your life is going to be hard. If you do the hard things, your life is going to be easier. It, it applies to maintaining a vehicle. It applies to home maintenance. It applies to character, you know, on the job. If you, you just do things that are easy, how's it going to go? Not good. Right. If we want something better, we need to rise above our baser instinct. And that's mm -hmm. what the Christian is called to do. So let's look at some specifics. Somebody start reading and go verse 5 through 11, please. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So in their culture, it was a big deal whether you were a Greek or a Jew. It was a very big deal whether you were a slave or free. But in Christ, <coughs> those things are what? They don't matter. Yeah, you're relevant. Where you come from. It matters. Are you in Christ? Are you saved? And how are you conducting yourself? And what are the specific things he says put these things to death? He starts off with uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and, and those types of passions, which is similar to what he starts off with in Galatians 5 when he's listing the works yeah. of the flesh. And he specifically says, verse 7, these are the things that you used to do. True. That verse 5 says, put to death, therefore. 
or therefore yeah. put to death. That therefore is relating to the previous context where you guys, you guys died. You, you were buried with Christ in baptism. You had yeah. died. So if you physically died, spiritually speaking, and you've done that, you've honored Christ, you obeyed Christ, then this, this don't, don't neglect this part of the deal. Yeah, like Romans 6, where it says you crucify the old man. Now, what do you do with the old man that's been crucified? You bury, you bury him. him in the waters of baptism, and then you rise to walk in newness of life. The newness of life needs to be different than the old life. I, I illustrated this way one time. I, uh, you remember those uh, like Tide commercials where it would show the dirty, filthy clothes, and then after the kids ruined his uniform, she puts it in, she washes it, and the tide comes out clean. And so I took a shirt, I got it all dirty, and you know, rubbed it in the ground, got it really filthy. And I went to church, and before I started the sermon, I said, listen, before I start my sermon today, I want to tell you about something Bertina I picked up. We got a good deal on this new super detergent. We bought a lot of it. If you'd like some, uh, I'll you know, get in touch with it. I said, look, this was what a shirt looked like before I used it. And I held up this shirt that I'd ground in the, in the ground and ashes and everything looked filthy. I said, and then I put it down below the pulpit. And I said, now, after washing it one time in this super detergent, look what it looked like. And I lifted up the same filthy, dirty shirt. <laughs> one, of the, one of the fellas in the audience didn't know I was making an illustration. And he goes, wait a minute, <laughs> he said, that's after you washed it? And I said, yeah, that's after I washed it. You want to buy some of the detergent? And of course, he wasn't interested in that. And the point is, if we don't put to death the old man, if we don't put off those old things, if we're still walking the same way we used to walk, and we're telling other people, look what Christ did for me, what does that say? You're still dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Comments. Drew, you had your hand up. Yeah, before just people coming in, we're in Colossians chapter three. Um, but when you, you mentioned it, you talk about in the illustration you're given before you started it, it said we were baptized we were immersed into water, the bap the, the what is it, how you word it? The the burial baptism. Right. Of water. Isn't it great that that's the way he set it up for us to do that we don't have to physically be buried in dirt? Oh yeah, it's a lot easier to be buried. A lot easier, but number two, when we are, what's that? A lot cleaner. A lot cleaner. And it, but if we, when we are buried in dirt, it's over. And if we yeah. have been united with Christ, it's over. And that's, I think, that's part of the point. It's going to since you've died, get get the rest of your get put away these things, put away it, these it, things. It ties in with Luke nine twenty three, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, yourself. Self, and take up my cross. My cross daily. Oh, no, your, your cross. Your cross. Your Very good. Yeah. He died on his cross. Scott has to die on Scott's cross. Drew has to die on Drew's cross. Jonathan has to die on Jonathan's cross. And who dies? Romans 6. Our old man. We crucify that old man. But the thing is... <coughs> Like some of the characters in some of those horror movies, he likes to come back to life. <laughs> and so we need to keep throwing some nails in him. When he tries to pop up and claw his way out, 
we need to keep him dead. So this says to Christians. So, so you're saying sometimes, sometimes, so sometimes you're saying I'm acting like a zombie. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we just need to keep that old guy dead. So here's the thing, though. It's not enough to put off. Because if somebody puts off, if somebody says, I've got five bad habits, I'm going to stop doing them all. But if they don't acquire any new habits, what's going to happen? You're going to get your old habits back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they're coming right back in. So while we put to death these old things, we need to simultaneously, somebody read 12 through 17. All right. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate heart, I'm sorry, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yeah. So the things we heard all sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, put that all off and just cite the specifics of what we're to put on. Hey, Scott. Yes. 12. Put on then as God's chosen one. So he chose these people. Yes. And God can choose whoever he wants, right? He yes. Did, right? In the Old Testament, he chose the Jews because they were just so perfect and righteous, right? No. No. Why did he choose them? Well, he, he chose Abraham. Yes. And Abraham was a man of faith, but he chose Abraham's descendants even though they weren't. Right. In the New Covenant, he, he chooses those who choose him. Jesus says... You know, he that hath ears, let him hear. Seek and you will find. Um, as, as he says some difficult things in John 6, and some people say, and that's a hard saying, we're not going to listen to that. And they went away. Jesus says to 12, are you going to go away? Peter says, no, you're the Holy One. You've got the words of life. We're staying with you. God wants people that want to submit to him. Doesn't, it, doesn't Paul say also that we are chosen in Christ or through Christ? Yes, yeah. yeah. Ephesians chapter 1. We are chosen in Christ. Because I was talking with someone recently that the chosen part was something we had no control of, that God chose us before the foundation of the earth, and therefore my name's there whether I liked it or not. That's well, with this teaching. Yeah. Uh, and let's not spend a lot of time on that in this section of Colossians, but let's do touch on it. Look at Second Peter chapter 1. Here it talks about our election, which is a biblical theme. But it says here... It tells us to be diligent to confirm our calling and election. The yeah. American Standard says to make your calling and election sure. Yeah. And when you look up uh, the new American Standard, I think does a poor job of translating it. It says make certain of your calling and election. Uh, there, there's not, I think it's better translated than ASB when you look at the Greek. 
make your calling and election sure. And it's, it's the same word used over in Hebrews where it talks about an anchor. So turn over to Hebrews chapter six. All righty, Hebrews chapter six. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So if First you throw an anchor, that was Hebrews chapter six, verse, I've lost it, oh, verse 19. Okay. If you throw an anchor out, if it doesn't snag on anything, if it doesn't hook into the sand, if it's just kind of gliding along, that's, that's of no use. You want it sure. Like if you're tying a knot, you, put, you tie something to the roof of your car, and you tie that knot, and somebody says, make it sure. Yeah. It, it, it's not just make sure you have a knot. Make that knot sure. We have a responsibility to make our election sure, because if we don't, Romans that talks a lot about election says what? If we turn away from the faith, then we're cut off. Yeah, we're cut off. Go ahead, Jonathan. Um, we have a good question coming in from uh, uh, Carolyn. Um, she says uh, in this section in Colossians three, um, what does the peace of Christ mean actually? Does it mean knowing He died for us and now we can live with Him? And so there in verse fifteen, after Paul lists a few of the things. Um, that we need to put on the kindness, humility, meekness. He says um, in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Yeah, very good. Well, and that's certainly part of it. Um, yeah. so, so, so what exactly does that mean having the yeah. peace of Christ? So gentlemen, think of passages in the Bible that use the word peace and talk about Christ. There's a number of them and we'll start putting together some of them. Carolyn's already uh, pointed to one of them, and there's other facets as well. What passages in the Bible talk about Jesus and peace? I'm not sure of the place, but it's where Jesus says, don't think that I came to bring peace. That's one. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, I cannot send peace but a sword. Now, what does that mean? Because in Luke 2, when he's born, the angels are singing peace on peace earth. On earth, yeah. Peace on earth where? Peace on earth among men of good will. If we will submit to Christ, if we will turn our selves over to Christ, then we have peace. But if we don't, then there's judgment. Then we're continuing as enemies of Christ. So you're saying that peace then is between man and God, not between among men and men. Uh, well, we should be at peace with other men. Romans 12 says, as much as possible, as much as you lies, be at peace with other men. But what Jesus establishes for us is peace with God. So let's look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, starting in verse 11. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, verse 10, remember you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenant, having no hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. This is Ephesians 2.14. He made us both one, and he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostilities by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, both Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and he preached peace to you that were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. Who would that be? The Jews. The Jews. And so through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So there's this wall between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, in Jerusalem, there was a wall around the temple that Gentiles couldn't go past. It's the wall that when Paul gets back from the third journey, they accuse him of taking a Gentile past that wall. Wall's gone. Wall doesn't matter now. Jews and Gentiles are brought together in peace and at peace with God. Why is it peace with God? Romans 5. We used to be, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Enemies. That's right. And another word puts the opposite in war. If you're at Enemies. peace with somebody, there's your ally. And but you're at war with somebody, that's your enemy. 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 While we were yet enemies, Jesus died for us. So Jesus died for us while we were enemies, making peace, but we have to surrender to him. God's army is made up of people that desert the devil's army. Hmm. Jesus died for our sins and calls for us to come out of being his enemy and hostility and come into his peace. So specifically now, what are some more verses in the Bible that talk about Jesus and peace? <clears throat> Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 where he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all knowledge, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And back in Isaiah, you remember the passage in Isaiah 9, uh, where it says, to us a child is born? What was and then it mentions, uh, is that the scripture that mentions that the child will play with the serpent and the... Uh, no, uh, it's this one. It says, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and uphold it. But then you have Jesus saying, I didn't come to send peace, but a sword. He said specifically, I came to set a daughter-in-law against her mother or father. Yeah. Why? Because Jesus knows not everybody's going to seek him. Not everybody's going to surrender. And so when a daughter-in-law becomes a Christian and the mother-in-law is still uh, an unbelieving Pharisee or a pagan, how do those family members react to somebody becoming a Christian? Nah, it didn't go well. Yeah, yeah. And so there's going to be a lack of peace here sometimes, but we're to be people of peace. What do we do? What should we do to our enemy when he's hungry? Feed him. Feed him. Yeah. What should we give to our enemy when he's thirsty? Give him some water. Yeah, yeah. The, the animosity shouldn't be coming from us, but it's going to come from the outside. And so there's going to be peace on earth among men of goodwill. We need to surrender 
and come in and find that peace. Any other comments about peace in Jesus? I just did a quick so search. Get... I'm sorry, John. I just did a quick search on uh, name of Christ and the word peace together, and I it just quickly came up with 24 times just in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. Name one of them. I'm going to read Isaiah 53 a little bit. Uh, well, almost every letter he starts off like Paul in Second Corinthians. Second Thessalonians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ our Lord Jesus. So many yeah. times he opens his letters with that. Yes. And, and so a good question for somebody thinking about that they haven't become a Christian and they think, well, maybe I should, maybe I should make, do you want to be an enemy of God or do you want to be at peace with God? That's a no-brainer. <laughs> Yeah, choosing to be an enemy of God. How bad of a choice is that? Right. Who's going to win? God always wins. It's like, don't choose to be an enemy. But the thing is, we all have. Romans 5, while we were enemies, Jesus died for us. So listen to this from Isaiah 53. And this comes back to what Carolyn uh, was talking about, the peace in Christ. Isaiah 53, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet how did people view him as he was suffering? They're laughing at him and mocking him. They think he's getting what he deserves. Isaiah 53 says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, was the chastisement or punishment. Uh, this is the same word used back in Proverbs where it says, he that spares the rod hates the child, but he that loves him disciplines him. Same verse. So the chastisement or Holman's Bible says, the punishment upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. peace. Mm -hmm. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of Saul. Comments. Uh, this so, uh, could this have been the uh, area of Isaiah that the Philly, uh, the Ethi yeah, Ethiopian yes. eunuch was reading when Philip came up to him. Yeah, same chapter. That's right. He was asking who was this talking about himself or somebody else, and then Philip, Philip this is Christ. I'm sorry, John, you were going to say something. So back in back in Colossians in that verse um, that that Carolyn asked about, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I think really when you look at this scripture and you look at various other scriptures where that, that idea of peace and Christ are together, there's kind of a twofold idea. One, you have the peace that Christ has, has offered between you and God. We're reconciled to God. We can have peace with him. We're no longer enemies because of his sacrifice. He's died for us. Our sins are washed away. And that's a great peace to have. But then also when you look at the context surrounding that in Colossians, the verse preceding that in Colossians 3 verse 14 says, above all, put on love, which binds to get everything together in perfect harmony. And then in verse 13, we're to bear with one another, 
if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. So being a Christian is, is a life of creating peace, which yeah. is one of the Beatitudes that Jesus, yes. that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We, yes. we are have, having peace with God because we've put our old self to death and put on this new self that is seeking the things above. We also have peace with others and we have peace even with our enemies. When your enemy is hungry, feed him. When he's thirsty, give him something to drink, like we've already stated. So it's the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts is following the pattern that Jesus himself followed and yeah. creating peace with the Father and creating peace with everyone, enemy or friend. Yes. There's peace. yes. Excellent. Excellent. And look at how that fits with Colossians 2. What were we to put to death in verse um, 8? What were some of the things to put to death? In verse, you're saying Colossians 3, you mean? Yeah, Colossians 3, yeah. verse 8. Oh, I said 2. I'm sorry. Yeah. Colossians 3, uh, verse Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander. Yeah, anger, talk. wrath, malice, slander. Why do people do those things? Is, do they do that to their peace with? No. <laughs> no. Oh, they're angry. They're trying to get back at somebody. They're trying to hurt somebody. They're trying to... What did Jesus do for the people that were trying to hurt him? He died for their sins. Mm -hmm. And so we're to put on, verse 12, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing one with another. If any has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He died to make peace for us. We who were enemies, he, he tell, we're told to, you know, do good to our enemies. Jesus did good to his enemies and let us come into his peace. And we got to replicate that. John. Um, I, I think a lot of times there's this attitude, particularly with, with the section Philippians four and verse seven, that the peace of the peace of God will guard the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. There's this idea uh, and this kind of expectation that you're going to get this magical feeling of peace and comfort from, from praying or things like that. And you do get a lot of peace from being able to pray to God. I don't want to be misunderstood, but it's not just this magical light switch of, Oh, now everything is peaceful. Uh, or I'm at peace totally. It's not some mystical thing. There's an effort that goes into creating peace. Uh, and it's more of a, of a mindset. So in Philippians 4 and also here in Colossians, it follows the same kind of pattern. We, we dwell on the things that are good, that are commendable, that are righteous, and rejoice in those things, and you get the peace. Here in Colossians, you put off the worldly ideas, the anger, the wrath, the malice, and you put on the good things, love and humility and kindness and meekness and patience, and you have the peace. It's, it's this effortful thing. Drew. And so I remember who said it or made the point, but in the, uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peace lovers. And there's a difference in that. You have yeah, to go out and create the peace. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to love peace, but it, it, we need to make peace. Drew. Both of you referred to that 14 and 15, let, uh, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then in verse 16, he gives an explanation on how you actually can execute it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's something I have to do in order for me to 
let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. I have to know what the word of Christ is. I have to read it. I have to study it. And we're down to about one minute. So let's close with this from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jonathan, you've already alluded to that very important beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's followed up by this. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. So the peace in Christ doesn't mean that evil people and unbelievers and wicked people are going to want peace for us. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that didn't want peace for Jesus. They're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. They're not at peace with Jesus, but he's trying to make peace for them. Mm-hmm. So blessed are the peacemakers, but there's going to be people that are our enemies. But if you keep reading in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know what? If, if we say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm really nice to people that are Christians. But that's as far as it, if that's as far as it goes, you're not a disciple of Jesus. We have to reach deeper and be nice to people that aren't nice to us. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Yeah. And coming back to what Jonathan said about the peace of Jesus, when somebody's acting as your enemy and, you know, inside and it's gnawing at you and, you know, and maybe some temptation comes in to want to get revenge or something. If you stop dwelling on the selfishness, if you stop dwelling on attitudes of revenge, if you stop all that, and instead of choosing to be better, you pray for them, that they will mature, that they will learn, that they will grow, that they'll be able to get past that, and that you might be able to be an example to help them. When you stop and you pray for your enemy, what happens in your own heart? It changes. <laughs> you start to feel loving and compassionate and kind yeah. and all these other things towards them. Yeah, yeah. All right, we are out of time. And so uh, next week, we'll pick up with the next section. There's not much left in Colossians, but it does talk about husbands and wives and families. And so that'll be worth some attention next time. Yes, and Thank so as we, come, as we come to an end and say goodbye to everybody, we're glad you were able to join us today. We invite you back again next week. If you have a particular book of the Bible you'd like us to dig into, please go to BibleQuest.tv and fill out the form and just put it in the in the in the comment box and the and that form page and let us know uh, what you'd like us to talk about. Thank you guys. Great discussion. See you next Tuesday, Lord willing. Thank you.